0: The opinions and views expressed in Dead Men Do Tell Tales and all affiliated media are Jordan and Nicole's and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their training program or others working in the field of medical legal death investigation.
1: Hey, guys. We just wanted to preface this episode by saying that we know John Oliver just did a Last Week Tonight episode on the death investigation system in the United States. We recorded this
0: episode on Corners vs. Medical Examiners back in April, before john oliver's episode
1: was released at the end of may and we think he did a great job and his summary was way more funny than the episode that you're about to listen to so we highly recommend watching his episode before or after you listen to ours and we linked to
0: the episode on our website deadmendotellpodcast.com so feel free to click on it and watch whenever you get a chance hope you enjoy the rest of this episode thanks everyone.
1: Welcome to Dead Men Do Tell Tales, a podcast about forensic pathology related topics. I'm Nicole Kroom. And I'm Jordan Taylor. And we are both pathology residents who are interested in
0: forensics. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about the coroner versus medical examiner systems because it's something that a lot of people kind of throw terminology about in the wrong way and we kind of wanted to clear stuff up. Yeah. So we wanted to start
1: with when and why somebody would perform an autopsy. So there're different kinds of autopsies. Um you can get a autopsy if you die in a hospital, but if you die outside of a hospital, then you might get an autopsy. And the reasons why you would get an autopsy are if you died a violent death, a suspicious death, a sudden or unexpected death some deaths in a certain type of institution say for example an elderly person dies in a nursing home then that person might get an autopsy in different situations and then deaths that a physician has not been um, in attendance for. Uh, So different counties or states have different rules regarding this. Um, I think in some places it's like if a physician hasn't seen you in two weeks um, and isn't comfortable signing off on a natural cause of death for your death certificate, then you would fall under the jurisdiction of some sort of medical legal death investigation office and you would get an autopsy kind
0: of the opposite spin on that is unless you died of a no natural cause and you have been seen by your physician within some set amount of time and that physician is comfortable signing your death certificate you have to go through one of these medical legal death investigation systems
1: and even if your death falls into one of those categories which would Put you in the jurisdiction of a medical legal death investigation office. You, you may or may not get an autopsy if they take you. Sometimes you don't require a full autopsy, so they'll do something called an external-only examination. Or they'll just run toxicology. Or they'll do
0: a minimally invasive autopsy, like using a small needle to take a biopsy. There's a bunch of different interesting ways, which we should do one on at some point, the yes, different types of autopsies. We should. Essentially, if there's some concern around your death, an autopsy will need to be decided on. And then the two things that get decided from an autopsy and the surrounding death investigation are a cause of death and a manner of death. Oh, and a mechanism. Three things. The two, yes, sure. <laughs> but I guess the two big ones are cause, cause and, and manner. manner yeah. Um, mechanism kind of is looped into them. I guess I think of it as these two because it's kind of. How you separate out the coroner versus medical examiner bit are those two, Mm. in my mind anyway. Um, So a cause of death in layman's terms is what led to your death? What series of events and what was the initial cause
1: that led to your death? Yes, Um, and a manner of death is how the cause came about. And there are several different categories for this. There's homicide, suicide, accident, natural, and undetermined. When there's insufficient information about the circumstances surrounding the death or when the cause of death is unknown. So cause of death and manner of death are often linked, but they aren't
0: necessarily... Like one certain cause of death isn't always linked with a certain manner of death. So if your cause of death was, say, a gunshot wound to the head, it could be a homicide. Somebody might have shot you in the head. It could be a suicide. You could have shot yourself in the head. Intentionally. Intentionally. It could be an accident. You were cleaning your gun and it went off and you got shot in the head. It could be undetermined. We're not sure which one of those it was. It's
1: probably not natural. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Although, no, no, no. I think we we still consider if you were cleaning your gun and you had a heart attack and you shot yourself it would probably still be an oh, accident that's a good but that's theoretically a good you could maybe yeah. be natural since the mi is what caused you to <laughs> mess Dude. up yeah that would probably still be natural yeah actually oh and an mi is a my- myocardial. myocardial infarction yeah. aka a heart attack yes <laughs> sorry about all the vernacular so cause of death the thing
0: that caused your death, the mechanisms leading up to your death, the doctor or the person doing the autopsy determines the cause of death at all times. Um, Manner of death, on the other hand, is kind of where things get a little different in the coroner medical examiner system. And we'll talk about that when we get into the details about the coroner medical examiner systems. Yeah. Um, And then the last thing we want to talk about before we kind of dove into coroners is Why is this important? Why do we do these autopsies and get all this done? There are many reasons, but one of which is to issue a death certificate. So if you had seen your physician within some set amount of time and they are comfortable saying that they knew you had heart disease and you died suddenly and they're okay signing off as a heart attack, you can have a death certificate issued by that physician as a heart attack. If they don't sign off either a medical legal death investigation system needs to work together to come up with a death certificate. Death certificates are necessary to put through acts later on. So if you want to have a funeral, if you want to be cremated, if you want to um, move and withdraw money between different accounts, often and understandably, organizations don't quote-unquote believe a loved one is dead until they have a death certificate. Um, So in order to do a lot of legal things, you need a death certificate in hand. And so now we'll talk a little bit about the coroner and medical examiner systems. Um, So every state and sometimes even counties within a state will either have a coroner or a medical examiner system. Every state in New
1: England, for example, has a medical examiner system. But then in states like, say, California, it's county by county. So neighboring counties can have vastly different. Uh, medical legal death investigation systems. So like in San Francisco,
0: where we are now, the city and county of San Francisco is a medical examiner system.
1: But like where I grew up, um, it was a sheriff coroner system, which is even a a different spin on the coroner system. And Nicole grew up a couple, not too far away from here. Yes, in Stockton, California. Shout out Stockton. (laughs) (laughs) And even
0: like right across the bay or right across like any bridge you take from San Francisco, they're all coroner systems. Right, it's yeah. kind of like this little, like island of medical examiner system in a sea of coroner systems. <laughs> so, I guess start with coroner systems.
1: Yeah. So the coroner system dates back to feudal. England, According to the Coroner Society of England and Wales, the coroner system was formally established in 1194, and it was basically a form of a medieval tax gatherer to an independent judicial officer charged with the investigation of sudden violent or natural death. And the duties of early coroners were somewhat varied. But in the end, their main job was to investigate deaths that could have potential benefits of revenue for the crown. Hence, coroner. They worked for the crown. Yes. Um, So, for example, they would investigate suicides. Back then, suicide was considered a crime. So if you were found guilty of committing suicide, then all of your goods would be rendered to the crown because you had committed this crime. And it's
0: I love some of the wording that they had. The phrasing that I read it as was the office of the coroner is formally established to keep the pleas of the crown. (laughs) Like, just... And then the word coroner comes from the Latin custos placitorum coronae. So Corona, as Nicole was saying, crown, corner. Um, not the beer. Not the beer. <laughs> no. Corona. No. Is there a
1: crown on the label of Corona? You know, I think there might be. I think be. there is. <laughs> Corona. A T-I-L. The drink of corners.
0: <laughs> and kings. And kings. <laughs> and through this, of course, anybody that found a body from a death through a sudden or natural cause was required to, like, raise the hue and cry and notify the coroner to investigate these deaths. In the 16th and 17th centuries they started to have some coroner manuals start to be written. So before this there was no real written documentation of what exactly they should do besides these vague outlines. Hmm. Um, And then they started to have these manuals written and then in the 18th century, there were specific handbooks written for the coroners and that were distributed. So I don't have the details on these guys, but the fact that it was in, you know, started in the 12th century, the coroner system, and it took literally hundreds of years (laughs) until the 16th to 18th century for them to start to delineate what the actual jobs are is kind of crazy. Yeah. Another part, these crown officials who had some of these coronial jobs, they had financial powers And they also would conduct some judicial investigations in order to counterbalance the power of the sheriffs. So when in a bit we connect this back to what the U.S. has, some of the the coroners at the time, they had control over the sheriffs guarding whatever territory they're in. So essentially, so the sheriff doesn't have all unassuming power, some of the coroners would be able to act against them in some way.
1: That makes sense. No sheriffs of Nottingham. No sheriffs of Nottingham. If they
0: imagine if there's a coroner, a medical examiner in Robin Hood.
1: Yeah. Well, there was that guy with the axe, at least in the Disney version. <laughs> what animal, if there was a coroner, <laughs> would a
0: medical examiner slash coroner be?
1: Oh, man. What's maybe like an owl? I know? was thinking, I was thinking
0: like, <laughs> I was the first thing you don't want, except then I was like, how do the wings do an autopsy? That's not going to work so well.
1: Oh, you're right. Yeah.
0: The beaks real not hard. very
1: good dexterity with the wings. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: can control every single little feather.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, hoot. That's what they do they don't call. <laughs> hoot, hoot. Hoo hoo. Yeah, gah would be more like a hawk or something. Oh, uh, would be more shrewd. Maybe it would
0: be a hawk. Like a shrewd, like determined yeah no bird of prey yeah that's the way i think of myself as a bird of prey
1: (laughs) that's your spirit animal animal. no we we already know a spirit animal is a a dragonfly. (laughs) yours is a shark though so true true and maybe sharks are the corners of the sea we've just been thinking of land animals (laughs) why would we do that that doesn't make any sense it's more land mammals. Oh
0: man,
1: <laughs> so much cutting. Anyway,
0: <laughs> some of that we might be able to keep there. Um, So now on to the U.S. So the current job designation, the coroner's official job is to investigate violent, sudden or suspicious deaths. They confirm the identity of unknown persons. They'll notify the next of kin, collect and return personal belongings on the body to the family. And then, like we mentioned, they would sign a death certificate. Um, So, you know, they can bury the body, deal with insurance, bank accounts, etc. Of important note, a coroner is an elected official. They, in, not everywhere, but in most places, a coroner does not have to be a doctor and definitely doesn't have to be a medical, doesn't have to be a forensic pathologist. Some places I think they
1: Yes, so there are a couple of states where the person has to be a physician, I didn't write down whether they have to be specifically trained in the medical subspecialty of forensic pathology, but there are a few states where the coroner has to be a physician. But in a vast majority of the time, it does not have to be a physician. Yeah. A lot of the time, um, the requirements are like, you have to have a high school diploma and you have to be a voting age. Yes. The end. Now you get to determine manner of death. <laughs>
0: and so these coroners, they run these death investigation systems. So they have this team under them that will go out to a scene... They'll help collect the body. They'll gather evidence on the scene. They'll take all the pictures that they possibly can. um, And they use those along with the autopsy result if they decide that they want to do an autopsy from the forensic pathologist that performs the autopsy to determine that manner of death. Was it an accident? Was it a homicide? Was it a suicide? Was it natural? Do we not know? Um, But this is a person that's not doing the autopsy. They just take the autopsy
1: report and they take the scene Um, information. And they also determine whether or not an autopsy will be performed. A trained medical professional
0: doesn't even need to necessarily lay eyes on a body in order for somebody to say, nope, we're good. This one doesn't need one. Yeah. Among the U.S., obviously since all government changes state to state, county to county, there's some really interesting laws and setups. As we mentioned before, sheriffs, often the only person that can arrest a sheriff or do something to a sheriff is the coroner in that county. So, And these are still laws that are in effect today. These are still laws that are in effect today. So like in Georgia and Colorado, the coroner is the only one that can arrest the sheriff. I think my favorite is Indiana. Um, The coroner is the only enforcement officer who can arrest the sheriff incarcerate him and take command of the county jail <laughs> and <laughs> so it's this just really ancient system that's still in play today in some ways that just doesn't like the person that's investigating death can take over the jail like that doesn't like i get the checks and balances thing but it seems like a really odd check yeah <laughs> <laughs> i guess main points from corner system are it's a very old system It started in in England forever ago, kind of made its way into all of the various places that England has taken over, a.k.a. most of the world, um, at some point. (laughs) Um, And we, in a lot of the states and counties in the U.S., still have this system in place. It's an elective official who often doesn't need to be a doctor, um,
1: who will investigate death and then decide if an autopsy needs to be done. And then decide the manner of death and sign off on the death certificate. So the
0: forensic pathologist in these cases, um, who is usually a pathologist who has subspecialty training in forensics, will perform these autopsies and then report the results
1: back to the coroner. Which they may or may not take into consideration when they determine the manner of death. And then one last quick
0: note, maybe last, on um, determining manner of death. The coroner can just decide what the manner of death is if they want to. They can also hold inquests, Mm -hmm. which is, I think this is also from a really old-timey law. Um, They just had one in Mendocino County. It was done in the first week of April. First week or second week of April. (laughs) Early April. Yes, And there was this uh, case where there were two mothers that had adopted multiple children and they found the car off the edge of a cliff as they were driving um, down from Oregon and in Mendocino they drove off a cliff into the water. Essentially what this coroner's inquest does is a coroner calls up witnesses who describe to a jury, which is a standard like 12 to 14 person jury, who hear all of the evidence so they don't get any testimony from anybody that they're quote-unquote accusing of anything it's just this is what the officers found this is what the forensic pathologist saw at autopsy these are the toxicology results this is how the search and rescue went they just get the bare facts and they decide from those bare facts what the manner of death was I'm, i'm curious why they decided to have an inquest for that
1: right But But it was interesting that they live streamed it to the public. So they don't need to. Oh, they don't have to?
0: They don't have to. So I, I don't know where I read this, but it was something about like, if they, maybe it was the very beginning of the recording, if they don't want, they get, it's all kept in theory private. There were no reporters allowed in the room. There was no recording allowed in the room, except the live stream that the judge had said was okay. Huh. So the only recording was the live stream and then the transcriber. And I don't think, I don't know if that has to be made public or not. It doesn't have to be like told to the public in that way. I see. Yeah. And so now we'll go into the medical examiner system.
1: So the medical examiner system was first introduced in the United States in 1877 it started in Massachusetts, although the first true medical examiner system supposedly didn't come into existence until 1918 in New York City. And I couldn't find why exactly they made this switch in Massachusetts um, to a medical examiner system from a corner system. In New York City um, or Massachusetts? You know, either of them. Oh, I couldn't okay. find. Because I wanted to figure out why they what decided, yeah, like that a, a physician should be the one doing the autopsies, but I, I couldn't find I couldn't find exactly why either. that transition happened. Yeah, so 1918 was when the first medical examiner system as it currently kind of stands, was introduced in New York. Uh, and then forensic pathology, the specialty within medicine within uh, pathology, within pathology, didn't come about until 1959. So. Which was not that long ago.
0: Right. Um, and then the key points about a medical examiner that differ from a coroner, they 100% are a physician. You have to be an MD or a DO you don't have to have pathology or forensic pathology. And often the ones that don't have forensic pathology boards are ones that started doing it very early on when it was kind of hit or miss for people that actually got a forensic pathology board certification and they just kind of worked through for so long that they never got grandf- grandfathered
1: it. into this exactly system.
0: the other important point in this is that so we said a coroner is elected a medical examiner is almost always appointed so you know the medical examiner doesn't need to keep showing face to the community they don't have to be nice to people that can be nice to the wrong word they don't have to act a certain way politically necessarily to keep doing their job well. They just need to run a good death investigation system and perform autopsies in an efficient manner that these cases get out in a good
1: amount of time. Although I was thinking about this, the fact that they're appointed, they would, depending on how long their contract initially was signed for, they would have to curry favor with the person that is in charge of helping them keep their contract. I mean, realistically
0: there are politics in everything you do in life, right? right? Yeah. Um, but definitely less so with a medical examiner than a blatantly elected official. <laughs> True. Yeah, I guess we're we'll getting to that more with the comparing the two. Medical examiner system is much newer, but it has to be a doctor. And the medical examiners do perform the death investigation. So a medical examiner will hire either assistant medical examiners or whatever they... Decide to call them. I know in Vermont, they're called assistant medical examiners. The people that go out to the scenes and take pictures and collect the bodies. They're not necessarily doctors, but they're called assistant medical examiners.
1: Oh, I think here, those are just the death investigators. investigators. Yes, here's the death. Yeah, in San Francisco, they're called death investigators. And the assistant medical examiners are, they're also physicians that perform autopsies. They just work under the chief medical examiner who has a sort of administrative role on top of doing uh, the, the other duties so. that they
0: have. Yeah. Yeah. So they need to run this death investigation system. So that means, you know, making sure that people trained to go to scenes and take pictures and collect evidence and collect the bodies and bring them back. And to have that information that, you know, the medical examiner doesn't go to every scene. Like that's something that, you know, if it's a murder, often the medical examiner will go to the scene, what you see in TV and the movies with the medical examiner going and looking at the body on scene, that does happen. Not necessarily every time, mm-hmm. but for most murder scenes, it would happen. But for those that the medical examiner doesn't go to, they have a team that's trained in going to these scenes that they can collect the same evidence and do the same job and get all the information because the medical examiner then needs to determine that manner of death,
1: right? manner and cause. And often the circumstances surrounding the death are used to help determine what the manner of death was. Exactly.
0: So yeah, medical examiners, they get to run the death investigations and do the autopsies. They are doctors and they're appointed. Why do we have coroner systems? Like why if we can have doctors who can run the death investigation system and also perform the autopsies and combine the autopsy results with what they
1: see on the scene, why does a coroner system exist? Some of that has to do with the oldness of the system, lack of awareness that these two different systems exist and that there is kind of this lack of standardization of medical legal death investigation across the country as a whole. So if people aren't aware that this is a problem, then they're not going to do anything to fix it. So we get this kind of patchwork system. But also there are certain areas where a coroner system makes more sense than a medical examiner system. And this kind of goes into the pros and cons of the different types of systems. So really
0: rural areas, right? You have a very large county with a very small population. People with the the lower population density, people don't die as much. People don't die in suspicious ways as much. And do you need to have a fully licensed forensic pathologist being on quote unquote call in that county and spending the money on that? Not necessarily. So for resource allocation, the corner system can work very well. Yes. So a coroner can cover that county or a larger area, and then for the times that they do need to call autopsies, they can send the bodies or have a forensic pathologist come to the area to perform that autopsy.
1: And part of that problem is that becoming a forensic pathologist is a very time-intensive process, and there's actually a national shortage of forensic pathologists. So the, the commonly quoted number is that there are 500 active forensic pathologists in the United States and we need two to three times that many in order to cover all of the the deaths that happen in the U.S.
0: Which is insane that you know more people want to get into med school and then more people want to get into residencies but we just don't have the resources to you know train these people let alone because there's plenty of jobs out there like our future job prospects are pretty solid we don't have the interest in the specialty there was an interesting stat that came out so between 2008 and 2017 within pathology residencies so this isn't even forensic pathology this is a step before it. this is just in pathology residency the number of medical graduates who applied for pathology resident dropped 30% between 2008 and 2017 that's insane like we lost a third of the people going into pathology residencies in less than 10
1: years yeah and then once you finish pathology residency and you've chosen a specialty, not that many people choose to go into forensic pathology after that. No. Um, and part of it has to do with the nature of the job. Uh, not a lot of people could stomach the type of work that forensic pathology involves. And then some of it has to do with compensation. So you go to college. Your college. And then you go to medical school and you accrue a bunch of debt. Go all of the debt. All of the debt. You decide to go into pathology. Okay. And then you're looking at your future job and... Often, somebody who is a pathologist and works in a hospital will get compensated more than a forensic pathologist who is usually working for the government.
0: You can go into dermatopathology, which you make over a million, like a million dollars a year, or you can go into forensics, where you make significantly less than that. Yeah. Um, With, in theory, the same amount of debt. If you have a drive, if you're interested, if it's what you want to do, that's awesome. But unfortunately, we, as we know, money drives all things. (laughs) And some people that are really interested just, can't make it work with yeah. debt that they have, which is legitimate. <laughs> um, staring at that number right. every month is the worst as it grows
1: and grows because you can't <laughs> keep up with the interest rates. Yeah. Like, And there are several organizations that have looked at all of the reasons why we have this shortage and have tried to come up with some fixes. So one thing that has been thrown out there is some sort of governmental loan forgiveness program. And we do have that, the... There is a loan forgiveness program, but I don't know that anybody's actually used it yet. Within forensics? Not within forensics specifically, but okay. there is that program where if you work for... Um, 10 years? If you work for 10 years at a public... So unit. it's it's more than
0: just medicine. It's any job. I think it's not even necessarily within medicine. If you work for a public institution, so that could be UC. It could be a government job. Right. If you are paying your debts off for 10 years, you can apply to this loan forgiveness program. But like, I think it's something like less than 5% of people that applied to it get it.
1: Yeah, so because e- it's got all these other steps that most people aren't aware of when they initially start paying their
0: loan. Yep.
1: like You have to consolidate all of your loans first, and yes. then you have to be And if paying. they're not consolidated, it doesn't matter. You need to... Yeah. You need to consolidate. Yeah. The the ten year starts from when you consolidate. And you have to be making the minimum payment based on your income yes. for the entire ten years. Yes. So if you default on your loan at any point, it yes. probably ruins your chances yes. of getting that loan forgiveness. So there there's programs like that, but they they public are worth... loans service forgiveness program. That's yes. what it is. Yeah. But they're talking about other sorts of loan forgiveness programs that are specific to forensic pathology and might encourage people to go into them yeah so there's also talk of like in primary care nowadays we have nurse practitioners and physicians assistants that can practice independently um so people have brought up well why don't we just have pathology assistants that are able to do the autopsies Mm. Um, and that would help with the shortage like you'd have a bunch more people that are Certified to do the autopsy. But um, the National Association of Medical Examiner's name, they've actually written a position paper about why that wouldn't work. The point that they made in the position paper, like even if you did have pathology assistants performing the autopsies, they would need to be directly supervised at all times by at least one forensic pathologist. So it would... It could potentially help with the shortage issue, but you'd still have to have at least one forensic pathologist there directly supervising yeah. them at all times. And so. especially
0: if, like, we're talking about these rural situations, right? If the whole point is you want to send a PA out to do an autopsy in this small town and then this small town and that small town, it would work great if you didn't need that supervisor. Right. Or, like, if, but if you can bring all the bodies into, say, one central location, have five being done at the same time, then it could work. But yeah, it's just. The direct supervision makes it makes it very difficult. Yeah, there's definitely good points to having a coroner system. Even I mean, when we're talking about resources, we talked about how in a small county in the middle of nowhere, there might not be a forensic pathologist in the area. There also might not be the facility to perform an autopsy in that area. Yes, so you might need to send the um, the decedent somewhere else to get the autopsy done, and then the body can be sent back you can't expect every small town to have a like a solid morgue to do the autopsy in yeah
1: i was also i read this paper well, i guess it was a chapter in a book that i had access to online that was this comparing medical examiner and coroner systems and one of the pros one of the pros that they actually said was that the person is an elected official They cited it as a pro because the person has autonomy, access to power, and the ability to represent the will of the electorate so that they're on equal footing with other local elected officials, which kind of makes sense from a resource allocation standpoint. Like if you're an elected official, then you sit on this committee and you're like, no, we need these resources for death investigation. And you're able to have more leverage. But you still don't get
0: to say you know, You still aren't making that budget right like the whole point i would think would be to make the budget but you're not like unless this corner that corner system is different like you're not sitting on the committee that signs off on the budget right you're just advocating for your more money for your department yes which medical examiners i would imagine would do as well
1: yes although i was taking it to mean that you have as an elected official you have the ability to maybe sit on that committee or you would have more power at least as and, and another elected official. Like, what you say would have more bearing to the to other yeah. people versus if you're an appointed medical examiner.
0: Yeah. I don't think you sit on the budget committee. I don't think you would be able to say, like, I vote for this. Yeah. Like, you don't get to vote for anything. You get to run your department. But I don't think you get to vote on anything. Except for arresting the sheriff. You can arrest the sheriff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me what I want or I will arrest the sheriff. <laughs>
0: and, and that's actually kind of an interesting point. There is um, San Joaquin County... Some of the medical, some of the forensic pathologists in San Joaquin County were not comfortable with the way that certain deaths were being mannered. Like people were dying in police custody. And whenever somebody, somebody dies in police custody, the medical legal death investigation system needs to take that body and decide if they're going to do an autopsy or not. Most of the time, they do an autopsy in those cases. There were several cases where the forensic pathologist didn't agree with the mannering. The forensic pathologist would have called it homicide, which is which just means it doesn't mean murder it just means your death was caused at the hands of another yes versus these were being some of these deaths were being called an accident because they're essentially written off as well the pol- the police officer was just doing their job, job and it was an accident that this person died Yeah.
1: So this is one of the cons of the coroner system is that sometimes the coroner, since they're an elected official, they can also be sheriff. So like in San Joaquin County, um, where Jordan was talking about, that's where Stockton was. So it was a sheriff coroner's office. So the sheriff was an elected official and he was automatically also the coroner. And since that happened, they are now moving towards a medical examiner's system. Mm -hmm. So sheriff clearly conflict of interest in cases like in custody deaths. Um, But also funeral directors have been hired, um, elected as the coroner before. Um, So then, you know, you direct all the bodies to your funeral park. (laughs) There have also been instances where a prosecutor was hired, uh, elected as the coroner. Interesting. Then you have a you have a definite conflict of interest yeah. when you have certain cases that you're yeah. going to be taking to trial. I think that's part of the issue that I see is like, yes, it's an elected
0: official, but that elected person can be anybody. Maybe just because we have a relatively decent moral compass. Like I think of a doctor as you know, your job is to do what's best for the patient, right? Right. And so throughout this entire process of this medical legal death investigation, you're looking out for the patient you're trying to figure out the cause and manner for this they're dead but they're still your patient yeah hopefully it's all good intentions and again it's
1: it's never and always um yeah uh people who become doctors are humans too yes. not all humans are good <laughs> <laughs> or um, Jester. exactly yeah. i
0: feel like it's harder to lose your moral compass and you're less likely to be in that opposing position. So you're like you're not going to be a prosecutor. You're not going to be um, a funeral parlor director. And there are definitely people that are forensic pathologists that have been hired as the coroner. Yes. Have been hired, sorry. Have not been elected, elected as the coroner. Yeah. And so those are almost like a medical examiner system. I mean, they're not technically medical examiners, but it ends up being a, a physician that is running this system. So they have a better idea of the human body and disease
1: and how it all runs but yeah any other pros or cons yeah one more con that i thought of for medical examiners and this is true of you know clinicians who go into like private practice um jobs and things like that so if you work in a medical examiner system and you're the chief if you're trained as a doctor, you don't necessarily have good administrative training. So you might not know how to run an office. So that could be another con to a medical examiner is that you have this physician that's in this position where they're doing these things that they weren't necessarily trained for and they have to learn how to do them.
0: But at the same time, like, the pediatrician that you went to as a kid, right? They ran their pediatrician
1: office. Right. Private practice is kind of dying because doctors were not good at doing that. So they they do the, you know, like Kaiser. So all mm-hmm. these doctors get together but then they hire people to do the administrative thing and yeah. so you know. Yeah. We've moved more towards that system yeah. in healthcare, less private practice. Yeah. And I feel like like I know it.
0: SF there's a chief medical examiner but there's also a guy that does like a lot of the admin stuff and they work very closely together to help run an organization and I feel like if you're smart with your budgeting and stuff and you identify that that's not one of your strengths you can then be like all right well I need help with this and we're going to hire somebody that's going to help so I guess it's a matter of you know identifying your weaknesses yeah but like you can say the same thing about a corner right
1: true you have this, this elected have person who doesn't actually know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I guess in that sense, though, they aren't also having to juggle the duties of being a medical examiner, so they don't have to. Because the chief medical examiner will also have to focus on the autopsy yeah. part of it, A1 versus thing. a coroner could dedicate their entire time to learning how to run the office and just playing okay. devil's advocate yeah, here. That's fair. I. I, you know, personally, I'm more on the side of medical examiner examiner systems, but I did watch this documentary called um, Postmortem Death Investigation in America, which um, was produced by Frontline PBS, Mm. which is great. And everybody should watch it. Uh, There was a medical examiner forensic pathologist um, that they were interviewing, Dr. Marcella Fierro. And she said that she's not anti-coroner. She's just pro-competency. So for me, it's more about having systems that are efficient and are held to certain standards. And we definitely don't have that in the United States.
0: And on that note, like a forensic pathologist goes through pathology residency training and then forensic pathology training. And in that forensic pathology training, you learn how to run a medical legal death investigation system. That is part of your forensic pathology training coroners are an elected official but they do have classes that they go through after they're elected to learn how to run that corner system so it's not like you're elected and then you're thrown into the office on the first day yeah they have various courses online and or in person that you have to go through before you can start acting as the coroner so it's not like they just come off the street and act as the <laughs> coroner they do get specific training but of course there is the certain amount of like everybody has different personalities and needs to and run thing runs things differently and all that so you know it's not zero but it's probably not as much training or experience at first as a forensic pathologist has i'm sure after many years they have got it down
1: oh i guess to that point there is um another forensic pathologist dr randy hanslick and he's done a lot of writing about how Um, medical legal death investigation ties into public health. But he he talks a lot about the different types of death investigation systems. Um, He's currently the chief medical examiner at Fulton County um, uh, in Georgia. So one of his things is that he advocates for concentrating on bolstering coroner training. So improving the training and the credentials and then while we're working to increase the supply of forensic pathologists. Because until we have the supply to meet the demand, there's no way that we can just get rid of the coroner system. No, absolutely not. Yeah,
0: And realistically, it's never going to completely go away. Just because old systems are old systems for a reason, and a lot of people don't like to change. And I think that while it may go slightly more in the medical examiner
1: direction, I don't think we're ever going to completely get rid of the coroner system. Especially if there's nobody that's advocating for it and it's not a thing that enough people know about to advocate for (laughs) it's something that there are a very small number of us
0: that are very passionate about it but we are a small minority yeah doing a pretty important job but a small minority yes and then we just kind of wanted to end with diving back into pulp cult- pop culture, pop culture. I want pop culture. <laughs> pub, All the dogs. Oh,
1: I thought you said pub culture. <laughs> pub culture is
0: also very important. Pub, pub culture, where oh you just got dog dogs. And wild? Yes. They're,
1: I don't need anything else in my life. That's. I think I know what our side hustle is going to be. Yes.
0: <laughs> so we wanted to end back on pop culture um, and talk about some of our favorite medical examiners on TV. It was interesting when I looked some of this up, it kept listing as coroner slash medical examiners, but for all of them, they were the people doing the autopsies and the coroner, except in rare circumstances when they're elected in a physician, they're never doing the autopsies. Um, But the forensic pathologists that are on TV, I guess the one that I always think of and part of this is because I share her name and part of this is because I am from New England and I was very close to Boston is Dr. Jordan Cavanaugh who is on Crossing Jordan and I mean I kind of grew up with it I guess it came out when I was still in high school but I just loved it and like my grandfather did forensic autopsies forever ago so I kind of always grew up with it as like in my ear and then watching you know this forensic pathologist working in a city two hours away from where I was. (laughs) Um, And of course you see them working with the detectives and blah, 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 which is not what happens in real life. We don't get to run around with detectives and interview suspects, et cetera, et cetera. But she was a really, you know, strong woman in medicine
1: and made her points known. And yeah, she had a cool name too. I, I, when I was watching that show, I didn't realize what she was. The first time I realized what the job of forensic pathologist that it existed was when I was watching CSI Las Vegas, mm, um, okay. the older guy, I don't know his name, who plays the the forensic pathologist on that show and does the autopsies. Um, but I think the first forensic pathologist that I became aware of that I really liked uh, was Ducky from NCIS. Yep. He was my favorite medical examiner on TV for a long time. He also just has the best, like, personality. Yeah, and his style is impeccable. Those bow ties, man. Those bow ties. <laughs> and, the, I mean, the accent doesn't hurt either. Yeah. But more recently, one of my favorite medical examiners on TV is Dr. Ravi Chakrabadi from Zombie*. So amazing. <laughs> I started watching
0: it because Nicole recommended it. I'm, like, three episodes in, and it's awesome. Yeah. He's also just, like, such a character. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think we... I've really seen him do any like much autopsy stuff. Right. <laughs> but- <laughs> Olivia does all
1: of it. It's she she sw- switched over to forensic pathology as her specialty and then he kind of just foisted all the work on her.
0: So, for context, yeah. it's this it's this woman who was a
1: surgery resident. Surgery resident.
0: resident yeah. and then gets turned into a zombie and then because of that she knew she needed brains but didn't want to kill people, so she started working in the morgue to get brains.
1: Yes. Which is <laughs> not why most of us go into the <laughs> <whole> morgue. <field. laughs> Just some of us. <laughs> we do not eat our patients. No. <laughs> cool.
0: Cool. Um But yeah. No. It's 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 fun. It's fun. Yeah. But yeah. No. She's doing a lot of the autopsies, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that I didn't think about, kind of like what you were saying, is you didn't realize that Jordan Cavanaugh was a forensic pathologist. Um, I used to watch X Files when I was growing up, and it never crossed my mind that Dana Scully is actually a pathologist. And, like, she's performing all the autopsies. And I was just, like, after I saw it listed, I was, like, she was a forensic pathologist. Um, Because, obviously, she's the doctor that's supposed to, you know, take all these crazy, outrageous claims and prove them to be natural or whatever. Medical examiners and coroners are not the same thing. It's different systems that that decide on who is going to do the autopsies. So, it's kind of crazy. The U.S. is a big, jumbled mess. Yes. But works in most places not everywhere but yeah, yeah. most
1: places so schmieds so schmieds <laughs> when you say it all together like that it sounds like Call them, Schmigo. <laughs> <Schmieds>. uh, so <laughs> if you liked this episode and our last episode please remember to rate review and subscribe um, we have a website, com, and we link to all of our sources that we use in each episode that we post. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Dead Men Do, Instagram, The Dead Tell Tales, and our Facebook page, Dead Men Do Tell Tales Podcast.
0: And if you have any questions that you want us to answer, anything that we just blatantly were wrong about that you want to tell us about, or, um, I don't know, ideas for other things you want us to talk about, email us at at thedeadteltales
1: at gmail.com, or you can go to our contact page on our website and email us through there. Yeah. So thanks for listening. We had a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: And bye. Bye, guys. (laughs)